Hi there, you're listening to the Practical Stoic Podcast with your host, me, Simon Drew. If you'd like to listen to over 200 episodes that were recorded before 2020, then you can head to my Patreon site. It's patreon.com forward slash Simon J.E. Drew. We'd love to have you there and any support is greatly appreciated. We'd love to also have you on our Facebook community, The Practical Stoic Mastermind. But for now, enjoy the show. Hi there, my name's Simon Drew and welcome to The Practical Stoic Podcast. Now, today's guest was recommended to me by Kai Whiting, and Kai never gets a recommendation wrong. He's always given me the best recommendations, whether it's his advice or people he thinks should be on the show, and uh, so I was very excited to have this guest on the show, none other than Piotr Stankovic. Now, I'm probably absolutely butchering the name pronunciation, but he does go by Peter as well. Uh, Now, Peter, we just had such a wonderful conversation uh, talking about some of the elements of Stoicism that we agree on, some of the elements that we disagree on, uh, you know, talking about some of the elements of Stoicism that really are less defined. uh, And it was just such a refreshing conversation. So, uh, so uh, mutually beneficial is the word I I would use. And so um, very excited for you guys to listen to this. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about him before we jump into the episode. And just so you know, you've got all of the links to where you can find his books and everything that he does online in the show notes as well. So, uh, Peter Stankovic is a philosopher and author and also a promoter of reformed stoicism. He's the author of Does Happiness Write Blank Pages? On Happiness and Artistic Creativity, A Manual for Reformed Stoicism and other books. Uh, He writes in English and Polish and he is a member of the Modern Stoicism team. And as I may have mentioned, he's based in Warsaw, Poland. So, uh, Peter was such a wonderful guest. I'm excited for you to listen to this. So, without any further ado, I present to you Peter Stankovic. Uh, Peter, I'm so glad to have you on the show. Uh, you came at high recommendation from one of my previous guests, Kai Whiting. And, uh, you know, I always love talking with Kai. So, I imagine we're going to have just as good a conversation if he's recommending you so much. But uh, I want to give you a little bit of an opportunity, seeing as you've never been on the podcast, uh, to introduce yourself and and maybe tell my audience a little bit more about what you're up to. So, yeah, uh, thanks for... uh Thanks for having me. That's a uh, that's a very fine occasion to talk to you. Thanks for that. And yeah, Kai is, a, is absolutely a great guy. We we met uh, in London, I, I believe, uh, like two years ago, and uh, or one and a half year ago uh, during the StoiCon, StoiCon 2018, I guess. Uh, so about me, uh, StoiCon already the, the the modern Stoicism movement. The idea is that uh, which is which obviously you do know, I guess. And uh, we and 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 obviously your uh, uh, your audience also knows is that uh, there is this thinking around that uh, in the 21st century uh, in the year uh, in the 20s already actually actually the year 2020 and so on uh, we can use the ancient philosophy of the Stoics Marcus Aurelius Seneca Epictetus and so on and so on and so on. Uh, the big so and there is this entire movement called modern stoicism. There is the new Stoa online. There are many, you know, many, 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 many ideas. Many books are being published about that. Uh, so I did publish. I I I I published my own right. So my my own take on stoicism. Uh, I call it. Uh, and this book has been just released February 
uh, early March 2020, yes. Uh, and uh, the, the book is called Manual uh, of Reformed Stoicism. And the idea is that uh, basically we, in order to use the Stoic philosophy uh, today, we need to reform it. We need to uh, we need to adjust. We need to, we need to interpret it properly so that it you know fits uh, the modern times, uh, our sensibility, and so on and so on and so on. So that's basically uh, the idea for the uh, for uh, you know that's that, that's for the idea for myself. What can I say? I'm uh, I, I live in I live in uh, in the Warsaw area, Poland, and I'm a uh, philosopher and and author, uh, writing books in English and Polish about Stoicism and about other things too. So, uh, yeah, awesome. so should just shoot me with, with questions. <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I, I guess, I guess the first thing that I'd, I'd probably start, this might be a good place to start the conversation is to ask you, um, seeing as you've written, you know, this manual of reform stoicism, uh, and, yes. and you obviously think that we need to bring it into a modern time, which I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with. Uh, what do you think that the Stoics got right? And what do you think that they might've got wrong or not necessarily wrong but oh boy in a different <laughs> context a you know like i know there's a that's, lot to go through but maybe if you picked one or two things from each side that's that's, that's a that's that's a bomb that's, that's a huge question so <laughs> i don't i don't really think that um in my in my take i mean uh i don't really i don't really see that the uh the ancient studies did something uh got something wrong it's not about kind of right, right or wrong, because basically I do believe in the uh, general message or the um, attitude they um, they suggest we uh, we might want to uh, assume in our life in order to you know deal with life properly. Uh, I do believe uh, that we need to um, kind of express that same message and the same attitude in the modern language, in the modern mm. uh, conceptual framework, so to speak. And that we need to, uh, you know, we need to, um, uh, we need to factor in everything that happened during the last two millennia uh, in philosophy, science, but also in politics and social stuff and so on and so on and so on. It's just, you know, we blindside ourselves if we uh, if we don't see that we that uh, that things have changed and that we need to, you know, put a new put a bit a, a bit of a new angle. So that's uh, that's the idea about this reformation. Not not pointing out that certain things were wrong, but kind of trying to translate that uh, into our yeah. modern uh, way of thinking. And about the, the the things they, as you said, they got right. So I basically I wrote two books on stoicism in English alone. So I do believe they uh, they've gotten a lot of things right, uh, but one thing that's uh, and this is this is what uh, this is how I begin my book. Uh, one thing I believe is kind of timelessly correct and uh, universally applicable, and uh, this kind of a great message of stoicism that is is and has been and always will be um, uh, valid and relevant is the obviously the. Um, Something that sh that you obviously know. I mean, the uh, idea that uh, things are divided into things that we do control and things that we do not control. So this is something I believe. This is a good, very fine example of something that uh, hasn't changed. That this idea is so logically so so simple, so uh, so powerful, so kind of pristine that uh, we just we just we just have it, and uh, this one doesn't change at all. Uh, yeah. That's, yeah, I love it. That's for one. Yeah. 
and and I, I, think I, I assume you... that that both you and uh, the audience uh, knows uh, that you know the basics, right? I mean, uh, what yeah, of course. Uh, I'm always about. happy to delve a little bit deeper into the basics, just because you know yes. it's interesting to see different people's interpretations, right? Because um, obviously, you know, everybody who reads the Stoics gets something different out of them that's really important to them. And I actually, uh, you know, I had a chance to read, uh, you know, the first first few bits of your your new book. Yes, um, it's available and, online. Yes, that's true. Yeah, and 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 you started off with with this statement, which I think is another one of those things that is, you know, almost irrefutably true. Like this ancient truth that we've understand yeah. for so long, which is. You said that the world we live in is not a world of facts, things, and events, but a world of our narratives about facts, things, and events, mm -hmm. which I think is is incredibly true. I mean, even right back down to our language, it's like, you know, yes. the words that we use are our way of bringing into being some sort of interpretation of the world around us, right? Yes. Like some sort of yes. narrative about the world. And, 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 you know, can you speak to how important that is for people to realize that, that, and, and how you even can rationalize, how you can get to that understanding when everything seems so real, like everything that is in our lives seems so factual and real, what we're experiencing. Does it seem so? Uh, okay, so yeah. yeah, first of all, I will speak, uh, I will speak to you saying that uh, I, I, I already like this interview because this is, a, again, a very fun question, kind of developing the conversation here. Because what you're asking is actually, I think a very good example uh, to discuss what you what we uh, what we had earlier that is the concept of how the kind of angle or take on certain psychic ideas should be uh, changed or amended today in order to make it more uh, more contemporary more modern and this is a perfect example because yeah uh, we do not uh, the world we live in uh, is made of not facts themselves but our narratives about uh, those facts and this is this is something that kind of sounds very sounds fresh i believe in sounds 21st century uh, but this is actually a translation or reinterpretation of what marcus Aurelius was saying about impressions or conceptions depending on the translation right uh, this is one of the basic stoic dogmas and uh, this is a very perfect example here that we uh, that the facts and events and occurrences and so on so on so on they do not make us happy or unhappy obviously it is our and marcus Aurelius says says conceptions impressions about them that make us happy or unhappy and so on and so on and and our conceptions impressions etc etc are under our control and we need to control them in order to be happy and so on and so on that's that's clear i guess now the thing is that uh, i've it, Conceiving this book, I was thinking uh, about the proper term uh, about uh, for uh, to 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 express just that, and uh, I believe that's that's exactly the case. That uh, it is the term narrative uh, that is the best contemporary equivalent of uh, what Marcus Aurelius meant by impression or conception, and so on, and so on, and so on. This is basically the same thing. And it's also, you know, good because it's connected to the realm of, you know, public discourse, politics, and so on and so on. So basically, the, the, this ancient stoic truth holds, uh, but needs to be uh, expressed in a new language. That is, that uh, we, it is our narratives uh, that uh, make us happy and or unhappy. So, mm. yeah, this is a very fine example, I believe, of this translation. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, so, something that I really have been thinking about lately with this idea of these narratives, as you say, you know, that, that we, it's like, 
you know, when, when you think of somebody who is overly emotional, you know, overly mm-hmm. reactionary, reactionary to, to the, the life around them, uh, you could almost describe that person as somebody who is more inclined to believe the stories that their mind tells them, right? So like they're walking around yeah. and all of a sudden somebody says something and their mind yeah, makes up this incredible narrative that mm-hmm. what they have just said means this and that means that I am hurt. And because I am hurt, yes. I now react in, a, in an emotional way, right? Now, how, what I'm interested in is, for somebody out there, you know, if somebody's listening to this podcast, they're probably already at the stage where they're willing to accept that I am trying to better myself. I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to change the narratives that I tell myself. And so yes. they can already understand this idea. Yes. But to somebody who we would call an overly emotional person, somebody who is so engrossed mm-hmm. in the stories that they tell themselves, what's the uh, way out for them? Like, how do you happy. get them to that point where they can understand like, how do you rationalize to a person like that, that listen, you've got to, you've got to understand that you're believing these stories and you don't have to believe certain stories. Um, I think that's, uh, I think we, we may say at this point that uh, some people just don't want to get there. I mean, certain people are, as you said, overly emotional or kind of caught up in their own stories. Uh, and they just uh, stoicism doesn't appeal to them so that's uh, and that's another kind of calibration or transformation or reinterpretation between reform stoicism today and ancient stoicism that I don't think that stoicism is kind of one size fits all answer for everyone there are I believe certain people who will simply not accept uh, stoicism um, because it doesn't, uh, you know, it doesn't suit, it doesn't fit in their in their mindset, in their way of being, and they will they will go about their lives uh, their way, and they will be maybe not happy, but they will um, they will try to they will try to flourish uh, on some different path. So, and, and I think that uh, in the twenty first century, again, we as as Stoics, we shouldn't uh, impose on everyone the, uh, the 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 Stoic dogmas. I mean, certain people will, will obviously. Uh, disagree with them and they and will be uh, will, will just go about their lives. Uh, so that's that's one thing to say. I think that uh, we, we need to accept and agree that certain that stoicism is not for everyone. That uh, it requires certain uh, willingness to to take on this message. So that's one thing. Yeah. Uh, but if someone wants to, and majority of folks, I guess, uh, will benefit from stoicism. Basically, I did benefit myself. Uh, greatly of course uh i think the, the the key message here is to kind of identify what those narratives are because the when when we use the word narrative we uh we kind of open ourselves to the interpretation to, to this thinking that you know there, there's this kind of voice in our head and I, 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 I don't mean like uh psychological problems and you know hearing voices that kind of stuff but there is this kind of a voice that uh is with us all the time i mean from the time we wake up in the morning till we go to bed, uh, that kind of tells, narrates everything, interprets everything, kind of uh, puts an angle on everything that happens. Uh, And this is basically it. This is this kind of stream, not stream of consciousness, but stream of of thoughts, stream of narratives that uh, makes up this kind of voice in the head. Uh, And the big thing is to kind of identify that and then uh, realize that... uh, we are not uh, that we are something else than that voice, right? That there is a kind of a 
um, that there is a gap between myself, whatever that is, uh, and this voice, this narrative, that I do not have to uh, rely on it all the time, that I, can, that I don't have to trust it all the time, that I can disobey this voice, that I can try to control it. So this is, this is the first thing, I believe, the realization that I'm not subdued, that I'm not inferior to that voice, that I can try to control it. That's, that's, the, that's the first step. And I believe it, uh, it all goes from there. Mm. Yeah, and no, I, th- I think that, that listening to you answer that question has really actually kind of cleared my own vision of, of, of what, what it actually means, right? So firstly, I mean, I was even thinking as you were describing how, you know, we just got to accept that some people aren't, going to like this philosophy they're not going to align with it you know it kind of brings me to the idea of aligning with nature and understanding uh that that there's a necessity for everything within this cosmos right like so there's always going to be people who absolutely just get it there's always Mm going to be people who don't you know like it's it's kind of like we don't have to impose these ideas on people. We just have to accept and understand that this is, yes. you know, you, you can't force somebody to see something that you see. Uh, they have to come to that decision on their own. Uh, and, and, and also, you know, you kind of mentioned that, um, you know, you have to first understand that it is a narrative and, and that might be the key, yes. right? So for somebody out there, if you can't get to that point, where you agree and understand and see that you are living yes. out a narrative every single day of your life, then you're yes. not going to see the benefits of changing that. And yes. is, is that almost, it seems almost like, uh, you know, the superpower given to us by stoicism, right? It's like, no matter kind what of, happens yeah. to you, yes, you can change your narrative to make it yes. work for you. That's kind of the idea of aligning with fate, right? Like, or like loving Sometimes your Sometimes it might be difficult or, difficult or even very difficult, but yeah, that's basically the message that yeah. we are depend on our narratives, not on the facts. So yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing here. Uh, about what you, you, you said earlier, the, the thing is that, uh, I mean, we, in, mod- in, uh, in the modern time, in, uh, in reform stoicism, uh, and in uh, today in general, we need to accept that people are far more, uh, you know, diverse than uh, than what the ancient Stoics tended to think, right? I mean, uh, my in my view, they were kind of pushing a more universal, as I said, one size fits all kind of answer. Uh, that everyone needs to take on these rules, and everyone will be happier with them. And that, and that there will be no conflict at any point. Uh, I, I believe that's, that's something we can't coherently believe uh, in today. I mean, that's, that, that's one of the premises uh, here. And what you said about the narratives, yeah, I believe that that's, the, that's, the, um, that's a fine criterion here, right? That uh, if someone is not trying to, that this kind of tells a stoic or aspiring stoic from, a, from someone who is not an aspiring stoic at all, uh, the, uh, that we need to try to, uh, you know, negotiate and navigate with the narratives we have. If someone is not willing to do that, they will not uh, follow the stoic way. That's, that's basically the point of divergence here. Mm. And, and you used the word negotiate. That's, that's exactly the word that I've kind of, I've used with, um, you know, even with my coaching clients and stuff, it's like you, something will happen to you and you will immediately come up with a story in your mind about exactly what that means. 
at, at the yeah, start. This is, it, this is the perfect, this is the perfect description. If something happens, then hmm. one quarter of a second passes and then yeah. you are ready with a story in your head. And the, the yeah. whole point is that we need to, as you sure know, uh, hmm. we need to kind of invest in this gap between fact and the story. And from yeah. there, everything uh, takes on. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of people think that it's, it's going to be a quick process, but I have found for myself at least that mm -hmm. the process is less of a, an immediate gratification. It's more of a long-term negotiation with those stories yeah. coming back to that word. It's like, uh, you know, at the start, it might be really hard for you to change that story as it is for many people, because you've lived with that story your whole life. Right. So you can't just expect it to yes, immediately go which away. Is, which is what psychotherapy teaches us that it you know, takes years to change. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So over time, you might say, okay, I'm willing to give you, you know, maybe we'll go 50-50 here. I'll believe you halfway. And then the other halfway, I will try and change my reaction to this story. And then maybe next time the, the story only takes up 40% and then 30% and then 10% until you're yes, able to then, then more clearly... And then you slip back to, you know, to zero to, to, to 100% and you have to start all over. I, I yeah. believe that what you are, what we are talking about right now is a, another way to fairly characterize the, 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 the way of reform stoicism. That is, uh, the, uh, that we accept that it is a process. It is not, I mean, there is this element of epiphany, for example, when we realize that division into things in our power and not, we in, our, not in our power when we realize that we live by narratives and the stories and not by facts themselves, there is this kind of moment of epiphany, yes. But basically, it's just the, the beginnings. The process is much harder and much longer. And uh, it's not true, I think, that once you... And this is, again, something that the, that the ancients might have believed in, at least, at least on some reading, that once you get there, once you become a stoic, then you will be a stoic for the rest of your life. Uh, I do not think that way. The the risk of uh, the risk of a, 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 of falling down and the risk of of failure is always there. And then you start the whole process all over because it's all about the stories. It's what how how we are used to think about uh, about ourselves. How we are used to tell this story that goes on and on in our in our head. So we and we can change that, but it is difficult. It's a, mm. it's a habit we need to change. Yeah. No, yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think that really stoicism goes a long way to helping us to do that. And, and yes. so, you know, it is, it's, I'd like to go a little bit deeper into your kind of uh, your view that, that it isn't for everyone. What makes yes. it, what makes it not for everyone? Like, and, and I don't mean, obviously yeah. I understand that not everybody's going to immediately grasp it, but what yes. makes it, not so, so i would see it as something um, personally that could be extremely helpful to anyone who is willing to allow it into into their world view right but but what would make it not great for somebody i don't and know what if do I you think that correctly. I, if i can if i can turn the table for just a second what do you think about that well well okay so i could definitely see um for example that for some people, you know, based on their life experience and, and their current worldviews, if they were to mix stoicism with that, it could actually lead to a certain complacency, uh, mm -hmm. a certain uh, acceptance of a very bad lot in life, even though mm -hmm. they yeah. have the ability to change it. You know, there's certain yes. situations where if you mix Problem stoicism with a yes. worldview and a current 
existence, right? You might mm-hmm. lead down a negative path. Uh, but exactly. if you understand yeah. stoicism on the level that maybe maybe you understand it right, surely... Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, that, that's it. There's always that hope. But if you move past that, if, if you get to the stage where somebody has accepted that there are some ancient truths here that, that play a role in our lives and they're able to see the value in these exercises. I, I'm not, I, you know, and I'm completely open to being proved wrong. Like, you know, like if, what would make it not valuable for somebody? So, yeah, uh, what you said is something I fully agree with. That is that, and I, 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 I already wrote about it, uh, and I call it uh, the conservative misinterpretation of stoicism. That if we, if we, uh, if we read it wrong on, on some level, it can lead to a kind of, you know, superficial conclusion that stoicism is about just, you know, sitting down, doing nothing, and just basically, uh, you know, accepting what is happening in this kind of passive, uh, failed way and I argue in, in, uh, in both my books that, uh, that this is obviously the wrong reading of stoicism and we, should, and we shouldn't go down that, down that avenue uh, because uh, stoicism is much more active philosophy, philosophy of action, of living an active life and so on and so on and so on so uh, that's, uh, that's one possible misunderstanding. Now getting back to the original question which is very, very fair uh, Obviously, my answer is that uh, certain artists uh, will be folks, might be folks who are not interested in stoicism. What I mean is that in general, um, stoicism, in general, there will be people uh, who might uh, want to pursue, generally speaking, other things than happiness in, in, Mm -hmm. in our life, right? Uh, one of the absolutely key premises of Stoicism is that we are seeking happiness. The goal of it all is to find a better way to live a to, is, is to live a better, more fulfilled, more satisfying, happier, eudaimonia, uh, full of eudaimonia life, and so on, so on. However, we wanna call that. This is the direction of Stoicism. This is all about uh, that. But uh, the thing is that there are certain, as I said, there are certain people. Who will uh, who who will prefer to seek other things in life? For example, uh, you know, creative fulfillment, being a creative, creating something, uh, a work of art, something which is uh, which is valuable in, a, in not the stoic way, but the, the artistic way. And we uh, and this is this is my favorite example, of course, because I wrote an entire book on that. Uh, is there a paradox? Is there a problem between the stoic ideal and the creative? Uh, ideal on the other hand and as we all know from the you know history of art and literature there are many authors and many artists who kind of uh, you know lived lives that were uh, that had nothing to do with uh, with what we think about in stoicism right and that's the mm. problem that's just on some level some say it is a stereotype but on some level it is not it is a deep decision that we for example being, being an artist i want to you know i want to create that's the first final and foremost you know vocation in my life and um and i go with that and if i if that brings me misery or happiness i'm i just embrace that uh and this is a perfectly legit way to go and this kind of culturally praised we know those great are great artists and so on and so on uh, but it is something different than stoicism so one uh that's why that's one way to to answer that that uh, some people 
just don't really want happiness. And for example, those may be artists. Yeah. And, and I, I guess my only question for that as, mm -hmm. as, as reasonable as I think that that is, is wouldn't you see a pursuit of a creative outlet and this comes from the yeah, I'm, I'm a musician myself you know and and so i you so know, that's perfect I, that's perfect then, yeah. then you understand me then you, under, you understand what i'm saying <laughs> I, I assume that's uh hands down yeah of course so. and and so i understand that there's you you want to reach a creative pursuit but the creation of that creative pursuit brings me a lot of meaning in my life right it brings me a certain amount of happiness that is simply a byproduct of being a more but, effective human being right um, but is it still stoicism? Oh, that's my question. Yeah. See, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I see. I'm, I'm not. I'm not too sure if I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to understand whether stoicism is a framework for thinking effectively more than it is a a a. a I know it's a way of life, but but I think it's also a framework for becoming an effective human being at whatever you do. And yes, that's why yes, we yes. see I, so many people doing so many different I agree things. 100%. But yeah. Yes, yes. Hmm. Uh, yes, it is a way to, I totally agree with all the phrases, a way of being a more efficient human being, a more effective person, uh, to be happier, to be, uh, to think more, uh, to think in a better way. The, this kind of, you know, the um, way of thinking and way of doing things, the principles of, Thought and conduct. These are all the phrases I believe you can find in my book. Uh, some of them, some of them verbatim. Uh, so yeah, I totally agree with that. Now, the, uh, the the real, you know, positively philosophical thing here is that whether or not happiness um, happiness attained in a non-stoic way is it still stoic happiness, which may yeah. seem a little confusing, but I believe it's a, that's a point here. Uh, and my answer might be, I would lean to say no, in the sense that, um, you know, if an artist, if, if an artist uh, achieves, uh, you know, creative fulfillment, produces something great, and it is, you know, uh, socially praised and so on and so on and so on, uh, there is this feeling of, you know, fulfillment and deep satisfaction, however you want to call that. Uh, but... It, it is something different, I believe, than at least in many cases, different than what we are, you know, trying to pursue in stoicism, and hence this kind of a uh, tension between artists and uh, and the stoics, right? Uh, the uh, fulfillment of the creative process and the uh, you know the, the the fame that may call that may come from uh, from our artistic pursuits, it's it's something different than than the stoic stuff, I believe. Although, yeah. so that, that, that's one, 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 one way to think about that. But although, on the other hand, there would be, this refers, I believe, to only, you know, to some artists. There are many other guys who will be perfectly uh, happy with stoicism, who will, you know, who will find stoicism helping uh, their yeah. creative endeavors. And obviously, which, uh, which happens all the time if, uh, if, if your work goes unrecognized and, you know, no one, no one listens to your music, no one reads your books and so on and so on. Uh, stoicism will obviously help with that by you know it's not yeah. about uh, not in our control and so on and so on so this is the this is the story here i believe yeah and this is this is such an interesting discussion for me because i think uh, you know now that i think about it i i actually 
I agree that there's a different type of happiness, right? So if you're an artist who mm-hmm. seeks that kind of uh, that, that praise from society for your work, you know, every mm-hmm. artist goes into their own creations hoping that maybe one day it will be recognized by someone, right? As, as beautiful. Yes. Uh, I will mildly agree. Yes. But you, but you might also make the argument that some of the greatest artists in any uh, field, field of culture uh, within our societies are those artists who, who may have had a very stoic approach to it in that it was all about the process for them, not about the end. It was about, they didn't give very a damn point, yes. what anybody thought about their art because their art was only an expression of themselves and not an expression of anything that they wanted society to appreciate. Right. So that's yes. why this is, art pushes the boundaries, right? Because it's like, I don't exactly care that. what you yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. So this is just for the record, this is exactly what I'm discussing in my, among other things, in my previous book, uh, does happiness Beautiful. write blank pages at uh, the, uh, the title I believe speaks for itself. Uh, and this is exactly that on this level, this on this level stoicism may help may help a lot that in artistic activity in creative activity in general there is something or there should be uh, at least i believe there should be this element of you know focusing on what you are trying to do and not what other people will or do say about that and this mm. converges nicely with stoicism and obviously there would be a certain you know certain um yeah, there is a there is a parallel here, here obviously, but on a different level, uh, you know, the artist is focusing on the, uh, the the creative person is focusing on uh, you know trying to create something, some uh, some external thing. It may be a good podcast, it may be a piece of music, a book, whatever. Uh, and this is not, I think, re- exactly what the Stoics mean. I mean. They they urge us to focus on in a way on ourselves on working up our own narratives. To use a you know to use a metaphor, I may say I, I, I guess we may say that uh, for the Stoics, we ourselves are the best work of art for ourselves. I mean, it is as a Stoic, it is my goal to focus on turning up my turning myself into a piece of um a, a piece of art right that my goal my creative goal is to create a good life for myself and by myself and in a way through myself uh, and that and that i should focus on doing this and not you know and not on you know drawing paintings uh producing music or or writing books so that would be a difference here and i believe that the uh you know, the, the ancient Stoics had this kind of disdain towards art, literature, and, you know, poetry. And I believe it, uh, it roots from here, exactly. Mm. No, Dan, this is such an interesting discussion. I'm loving this, Peter, because, you know, I, I've been thinking about that a lot lately as well. It's like, you know, one, one of the reasons I, I don't want to draw a... a I don't want to draw a massive connection between something like Christianity and Stoicism, right? Because they're completely different things. Like one is one requires you to believe in something that might not necessarily be completely provable. The other is a Mm -hmm. philosophy where we talk about ideas. Right. And so, but, but the connection that I would draw in this circumstance is, you know, you might argue that one of the, the reasons why uh, religions have been so good at, at taking such a common place within our societies is because of their embracing of culture, right? Their embracing of arts and music and, 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 
and like they okay well that's a good point okay okay there's like a real importance there for bringing music because music is to me even music and art is nothing but a representation of the beauty of the world that we live in right all music and art is is it it it's a it's you might call it a direct image of nature, right? It, it, mm-hmm. it mimics the sounds that we hear in nature and has always done that since we, you know, were playing drums and, you know, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, as a musician, I, I try to think of the ways that I can incorporate more art and culture into the canon of stoicism, you know? So there, 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 is, there is a lot to unpack in what you just yeah. said. <laughs> uh, starting, for, starting, from the, starting from the bottom line, uh, the uh, in in the previous book in does happiness write blank pages on stoicism and artistic creativity uh, my my uh, my headline there is not that uh, an artist and a stoic are are two necessarily different faults. Oh, yeah, and what I don't I want to think about, I don't want you to think that I'm just arguing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, what I'm saying is that I am in that book I analyze. So a number of you know ways of thinking about art, kind of motifs, kind of you know themes of artistic creativity, and some of them uh, can diverge. It can work well with stoicism, and some of some of them cannot. For example, if you create, uh, if your only goal in your creative pursuit is to become famous, then clearly it's not. It's a non-stoic thing, right? But what you just said to try to kind of kind of uh, exp- not express uh, try try to you know convey the beauty of the natural world to 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 kind of imitate the the uh, the, 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 the the beauty of things uh, of natural things in your music poetry or whatever that would be a stoic thing I think yeah that we may agree here right mm. that uh, that you know with the now not in the reform stoicism but in ancient stoicism there's obviously this was this clear thinking that the world is a great place and everything is uh is beautiful and kind of well arranged and so well, well tuned in and so on and so on and so on and if you particularly by music if you try to kind of uh you know tune into that and, and express that then that's a stoic thing so this approach to artistic creativity will work well can work well with stoicism so i agree here yeah uh and that's a that's a fair point to be made uh, that uh, that there are kind of different aspects here. So that would be one thing. Uh, for the other, uh, I can tell you this uh, just a, a, just a, as a quick detour. Uh, yesterday, they, uh, there was a, I got an email uh, that uh, for I, I believe six, five or six weeks, all the classes I have at University of War, I mean all classes entirely. Uh, will be cancelled for uh, for over a month here at University of Warsaw. Uh, so I won't see my students of uh, in philosophy of religion course for some time till mid-April. Uh, but when we when, when we are back in class, I will totally uh, bring up to them that uh, that point because this is something I teach a course of philosophy and religion, and this is something we didn't really touch so far. That uh, uh, the, the the good point you made here that the kind of um, uh, you know, power uh, of religion, this, the popularity, the the the, the 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 thing that religion, you know, is is with us since since the, since time immemorial, uh, and it isn't going anywhere definitely anytime soon. Uh, it is kind of you know propelled by the by the fact that religion, at least Christianity, kind of embraces uh, 
various aspects of cultural life, right? That uh, that religions maybe paradoxically are somehow open to earthly life and they are, you know, various aspects like culture, like uh, art and so on and so on and so on. At least they, uh, they used to be. Uh, and that's a, that's a good factor here. And, and, and yes, and here there would be a, this kind of, a non-obvious difference between Stoicism and the religion, uh, Christianity, to put it plainly, uh, that Stoicism is uh, much more, in a way, focused on itself, in a way. Uh, while Christianity, you know, is much more uh, multifaceted and has these connections with, with you know, arts and other, and other things, Stoicism is, is, you know, much more self-contained. And that would be a fair point here. And, and I, I actually, I love, I love what you said about go, going back to the idea of like you being the art piece, right? Like you're the artwork and the world that we live in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And for me, honestly, uh, lately I've been really finding so many things just exquisitely beautiful, right? Because I'm, I'm learning more about the stoic idea of, of aligning mm-hmm. with nature and, and, and I really think that it's a call to kind of come home, right? And understand that, look, all of this, it's beautiful, but look at Marcus Aurelius looking at a loaf of bread and saying, how exquisite is it that this bread is just cracking in these certain formations at the top and, you know, just finding just the natural parts of the world that we live in so beautiful and seeing them as an art piece, right. Or, or listening to nature and, and, and experiencing how incredible that is or experiencing how beautiful it is to become the very best person that you can be like, that's, that is an expression of, of, uh, you know, the kind of divinity you might say that the Stoics talked about in the cosmos, right? Like it's, it's really, so how do you view the idea of aligning with nature? What is, what is your perspective on that? So, yes. So finally, the time has come to say something controversial because I don't (laughs) really believe in aligning ourselves with Nature and let me explain that. Uh, obviously, as you know, as uh, as 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 and the audience probably knows already, uh, this is one of the key stoic and know dogmas, or even even something more than than dogma that we need to live consistently with nature, conform conformably to nature. We, we need to follow nature and so on and so on and so on. Uh, the problem with that, and this is kind of a banner thing for stoicism, one defining characteristic uh, as it is you know usually conveying the problem here and this is the probably one of the biggest differences uh between uh, my own approach between reformed stoicism and ancient stoicism is that um i don't really believe in following nature uh in the sense i I, i'm not saying that uh, just to, to to be precise i'm not saying that the ancient stoics were wrong just to use your phrase in their, you know, in their idea of following nature, it made sense. That would be a good line. It following nature might have made sense in antiquity, but today it's kind of very confusing because we don't really. If you want to, if you want to write a book exposing, uh, exposing, kind of elaborating on uh, on stoicism, what it is, uh, and explaining that to laymen, to people who haven't been exposed so far. Uh, if you start with, you know, you have to follow nature, you immediately run into problems because you, it doesn't, I mean, it, you don't really know what you're talking about. Following, if you read Marcus Aurelius, 
the idea of nature and following nature was kind of obvious, self-evident to him. He didn't. He never actually, in in a way, uh, he never explains what it means to follow nature. At least not in the sense I have in mind. Uh, today we have so many possible understandings of what nature means. We have science, yeah. which completely changes the outlook on the natural world and then the you know purpose of the natural world. That is kind of you know, j- just to say what to follow nature means in a way everything and nothing. And that's the problem. You are already, you are already, you know, you have the, the beautiful leaves and the beautiful, I know what that is, the flower, Australian flowers, <laughs> you know, perpetual summer down there. Uh, you have, so, and you were, you, you were saying about the beauty of the natural world using the adjective natural of, you know, flowers, trees, nature, when you, you know, go out and appreciate the, uh, all that it is, all, all what is out there in the, in the biological environment uh, here on earth. Uh, and that's one way to go. But, you know, there is nothing in the Marcus Aurelius that, uh, in, and, and in other stoics that kind of proves that this was their line of thinking. We just as well may think the other way, that uh, nature was, I don't know, being, being in agreement with facts or uh, being in agreement with uh, God's will. And so on and so on and so on. So that's the that's the that's the basic problem. Today, the uh, kind of conceptual landscape uh, is much more is much more complicated and much more kind of fine grained than it used to be in antiquity. And we need to be much more specific. And if we want to be much more specific, uh, we need to really not use the the word the, the phrase "follow nature," and we need to kind of focus on what it means. So in a way, officially, what I'm saying is that uh, we need to, you know, kind of abandon the idea of following nature. But on the other hand, my entire book is kind of, you know, 400 pages. And it just, the only thing it does, it explains in modern language what it means to follow nature today, right? So this is the entire thing that we, we don't have, if you say follow nature, follow nature, you kind of get stuck right in the beginning. The whole thing is about to explain what it means without really doing the recurse to the term nature and this is a bit of a controversial thing because most i mean yeah vast majority of stoics basically still repeats this this phrase follow nature follow nature the problem is that it is a very complex thing to understand what we are talking about yeah i i actually completely agree with you like when when you started saying um you know uh that that you don't necessarily think that it has a place anymore uh i was slightly confused but i think i think what you're saying is that it really it's it's a problem of definitions right like like mm-hmm. i know for myself uh for the first 2 years of doing this podcast um mm-hmm. i didn't really touch on the idea of aligning with nature much at all simply because i didn't understand it and I didn't know yes. where to go right. to understand right. it, right? So, so basically, that's my point, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's so many different interpretations. You could say, yes. well, you appreciate the beauty of nature, but, but I really think that it comes down to aligning with things that cannot be otherwise. These just natural laws of the universe that we now know are just factual, right? And you have to deal with it. For example, if you wake up in the morning and it's raining outside, don't get angry at the fact that it's raining outside because yeah, but it cannot be otherwise, is, right? Yeah, but I, I prefer, the thing here is that um, it's, it's better to explain that through the things that are not, with your, not within your power, right? Yeah. Uh, because then you're, you're providing a specific principle, specific kind of code for thinking that way. 
uh, when you say that uh, things cannot be otherwise, it's kind of, again, it's a, to, to, to the rain example, it's an it's a umbrella idea which saves us from the rain down there, but uh, it doesn't really explain anything. I mean, if I, and if I feel, um, if I get the coronavirus then, then what, what does it mean that I need to follow, follow nature? It doesn't mean that I, uh, that I can't go to the hospital and seek treatment because it is natural that I have to be sick. Uh, that's the problem here, that uh, the concept of nature not only has many meanings today, but it also evolves. It used to mean, I mean, in the 19th century, uh, it used to, it would mean something completely different uh, than it means today, right? Uh, both kind of, you know, politically and from the, you know, technological point of view. We are talking from Europe to Australia right now, and the, the connection is perfect, and it's kind of, you know, the sharpness of the, uh, of the video and everything is, is completely, completely great. And for a, for a guy like back in, you know, the first half of 20th century, that would be a miracle. That would, that would be against nature. That would be completely, completely impossible. So is it, you know, is it, is it, uh, is it consistent with nature that we even speak or is it not? That's the problem. It changes and it evolves. I mean, back in, in the ancient times, the idea of having uh, this, of having glasses, would be, you know, against nature. Just nature says that you need to get blind and you, your vision needs to be out of focus and you shouldn't do anything about that. This is very, in the modern world, this approach is very problematic. Yeah, I can, I can definitely see how it can be like that. And I've, I've experienced that in my own thoughts, you know, about things, you know, recently thinking about the idea of aligning with nature. It's like, well, does it mean that you just accept things for for what they are because that's what nature has done, uh, you know? Or, you know, do you say, well, you know, part of our nature as human beings is that we have rationality that allows us to think and create new inventions yeah. that can help us. So, for mm -hmm. example, uh, you know, getting glasses isn't going against nature because in our nature it's as human beings, some people are really good at coming up with solutions for our biggest yes. problems, right? Reason. Yes. And yes. so there's so many interpretations for it and it can yeah, become so very if, confusing. If I, if I were to say, if I were to pick, I would probably say that, you know, nature, that anyway, science, I mean, modern science is a kind of an equivalent to uh, equivalent is a, is a one of the possible expressions of what nature meant in antiquity. And also that following reason, right? Because you cannot really follow science, right? I mean, if a doctor says you, do, you need to do this or that in order to avoid a coronavirus, then okay, I can follow, follow that advice and follow science. Uh, but in, in our practical daily life, following science is kind of, you know, doesn't make sense. I mean, if I, uh, following science means what exactly? That I shouldn't, I don't know, I, that I shouldn't, uh, you know, uh, fly or that I shouldn't what? I shouldn't... Uh, um, that they shouldn't uh, run at like 100 miles per hour or something like that. Following nature is, I mean, uh, following nature translated into embracing science, that would be a good phrase, uh, gives a proper framework. I do believe strongly that uh, science, that stoicism today, reform stoicism, is very much built upon science. That is, that science provides, uh, provides us the framework for the work we live in. Uh, if you believe that uh, the moon landing was faked, or if you don't believe in a vaccine, or some, or if you believe in connecting with Australia, if you believe with flat, in flat Earth or something like that, 
then it makes you not a stoic, basically. This is something I can, uh, I can agree with. Uh, because as a stoic, you need to embrace science, but it's not enough in the way that uh, just, you know, embracing science doesn't really teach us much about how to live our daily life, right? Because it, mm. science is not about, you know, practical, ethical decisions. It, it builds the landscape, which I need to live with, and that's very fine, uh, but I need something more. For instance, reason, and the, the other way to translate following nature is following reason using mm. the, the capability of rational, reasonable thinking. And this is exactly what I elaborate on uh, in my book on these you know, 400 pages are basically um, developing the idea that we need to, how we are supposed to use our reason. But the, the short you know, umbrella phrase, follow nature, follow reason, or follow facts, doesn't really explain much. Mm. Yeah, I, I think I think that there's there's a lot of value in what you're saying there, and 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 you know I I, I know a lot of people tend to really lean it like obviously everybody would agree that following science like we should all we should all lean onto the scientific understanding of the world, right? Yes. We we need to yes. trust that there are people mm-hmm. out there who know far mm-hmm. more than we do that might actually teach us something about how the world works. Uh, but then what's so confusing to me is you know, you look at uh, something that actually has kind of helped me to learn a few things about Stoicism is is looking at ancient philosophies like Taoism and, uh, you know, these Eastern philosophies, which mm-hmm. um, had very, like, if you look at the ideas, they're so similar to the idea of aligning yeah. with nature. And I think aligning is maybe more of the correct term than, than maybe follow, because not necessarily aligning, follow, yeah. it's like aligning. Mm-hmm. And in Taoism, they you know, one of the central tenets is, for example, not to force anything and to, and to maybe see that, that your own rationality could at times be your worst enemy because it's the very thing that moves you towards desiring so much, right? And that maybe, uh, you know, the, the only way that I can really conceptualize it is that maybe if we are a part of the whole uh, and maybe if okay. every other and other creature on earth simply just knows what to do biologically, maybe by quieting the mind and stepping outside of our own overthinking mind from time to time, we can uh, align with a certain biological uh, compass that, that, you know, could even explain things, for example, like intuition or, you know, things that we just don't understand, but sometimes they just work. And this has been what's really interesting to me, just not necessarily claiming these are facts, but looking at different philosophies and ancient truths that can teach us about even the natural world, right? And what it means to be a human. Do you think there's, do you think that at times overthinking, over rationality can, can be our biggest enemy as much as our biggest over, friend not over rational not over over rationality but overthinking, overthinking. yeah and yes yeah. this is i believe i believe this is basic this is one way this is yeah this is the stoic message that uh this, and that's why getting back to the word narratives that's why uh those narratives and this mm. voice in our head can be so problematic because mostly when our narratives when the story in our head uh, leads us astray. It's when we over, when we kind of overthink or overconfuse. When we put through our thoughts, we put put more in the facts and events than then actually is there, right? For, and these are you know all the obvious examples. I, I go catch the bus and I miss the bus, and then I say, "Oh Jesus, it's always me 
I can never, I, I can never get the bus. Uh, I, I'm a failure, and my life is uh, is one big failure, and that kind of stuff. And this happens, right? And and this is basically this. Is what I believe we, we we agree here that this is overthinking, over hmm. over rational, rationalizing. Not a good word, but over um, creating too much interpretation, too much interpretation and wrong interpretation to boot. In, in this sense, I agree one hundred percent. And uh, from my uh, from my personal experience with, uh, with you know trying to you know calibrate my my mind stoically, this is basically eighty percent of uh, of the effort you put in that you need to stop your mind off you know let it, leading you astray. So you need to kind of cut down these narratives because you mostly uh, you know over over create problems. You you, mm. you see problems when they aren't there and so on and so on. So here I would. Uh, perfectly agree, uh, and uh, and it's a story that uh, that is there. I mean, many people I, I think will will feel the same way. That is uh, most of the problem, and this is again something I believe that you know psychotherapy teaches us that um, we put too much thought in this negative over over problematic way uh, in things. So so yeah, I agree with that. Mm. Now on. Uh, Embracing science and embracing the the scientific attitude of you know sticking to what we know. I won't talk much about Eastern philosophy because I'm not really an expert there. Uh, What I can tell you, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, and the problem there is that uh, obviously speaking about the very broad subject with many many difficult you know uh, ideas uh, and concepts and terms, maybe kind of confusing but what i can tell you is that absolutely there are similarities uh, between um, stoicism between zen buddhism and to, on the other hand mindfulness for example to use the western counterpart there are certain deep similarities for example in the approach to the to the narratives the idea that uh, i am something else than the stream of my thoughts and so on and so on and so on so there is some, I do believe, or at least I, I do observe, I, I see that there is this kind of a similarity in message between various uh, various approaches, be it stoic, be it Buddhist, be it being mindfulness, or, and so on and so on and so on. Uh, but I, to answer a question with specificity, I see that similar, similarity mostly in you know the things we do control, things we do not control, in the idea that we are, that the life is about narratives, not about the facts. Here, not about the, the relationship in, between me, myself, and the whole. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you there, and I, and obviously not being an expert on on any of those Eastern philosophies as well. Um, but it's always interesting to see the similarities between all of these different philosophies from around the world, and to to try to conceptualize what that means, right? Like w- whether that even speaks to the you know what the Stoics talked about when they said the logos, right? The, this this you know this information source, whatever it is, it's very interesting to think about. But I really love that you said uh, you, you alluded to the idea that eighty percent of Stoicism could be just releasing those that chatter, you know, and and or at least, I think at, at least my case. Yeah. Well, no, well, I, I agree because I, I really think that too many people focus so much on that element of control and they forget about the part that really like so much of it is just releasing control of all of the things that you now know you don't control. Because if you think about it, you can control like 0.01% of the things that 
are yes. available in life, right? And the rest of it is just not up to you. And so I think that's that's what's been really helpful for me as well, speaking to what you're saying. It's like just releasing all of that. And there's such there's such a a similarity there with that idea of releasing what you can't control between so many different religions, so many different philosophies, which is, you know, th- that's what I'm really interested in these ancient truths. Right. D- yeah, do you so think, what, uh-huh. God. yeah, you just ask. I was, was going to say, do, okay. do you think that there are any other uh, kind of ideas within stoicism that you could see as, as just universally true? We, we, it's just, impossible to see any other way once you understand it um for, so just for the for the record that it doesn't follow from the something from the idea that something is universal it doesn't follow that you cannot see it any other way these are two different things i believe uh yeah. but yeah there are many points like that for example one uh, for example the idea i call it um the idea of being prepared for the evil things uh that may happen in my book i call it anticipate anticipate mishap uh and then uh, in in latin it was called premeditatio malorum that is to premeditate the bad malum the the bad thing and this is exactly what what modern psychology uh says about the so-called negative visualization right that in order to that if you are anticipating something uh which might possibly go uh go go uh, go the wrong way if you visualize it kind of in a colorful uh precise way beforehand then if it really happens you will be maybe not believed but you will be prepared and this is something absolutely coherent with what the with what the stoics had to say and i do speak about that um i, I do discuss that in the book and this there is a you know 200% coherence between this and and modern science and psychology so that would be that would be one thing and uh, and i believe it works i mean uh, it just uh, it just works if you you may not want to use that if you are if you are uh, if you don't want then you don't have to but uh, there is no denying that it just uh, works and this kind of you know certain certain amount of you know those mind hacks we may say are that's that the that the that the stoics taught us uh, they are to be simply confirmed, and uh, and uh, there is evidence in, in modern psychology, like negative visualization, negative visualization, uh, and uh, and other things. So yeah, there there are many similarities like that, and uh, they, I believe, the question about why. I mean, um, yeah, one may say that there is certain, you know, on some level that there is certain deep human nature. Uh, which remains intact uh, over time and different times and different uh, cultures just try to explore it and that's why and, but it's still the same and that's why they come up with very similar answers that's a bit conservative answer uh, I mean conservative approach but yeah those similarities are there definitely and uh, in a way the similarities between ancient stoicism and mod- and modern and reformed stoicism are one of uh, are, are a fine example that we, despite two millennia passing, the, despite the passing of the two millennia, we are still able to uh, connect with the same uh, the same truths and the same ways to the same attitudes to life. So, yeah, yeah, it, it's something to explore anyway. You know, it's it's, it's such a touchy subject because uh, you know it can it can lead you down all sorts of rabbit holes, but. Uh, yeah, like it's really interesting. I appreciate you sharing sharing that. And and 
honestly, like this has just been such a, such a great conversation. Uh, and, and I just want to thank you again, Peter, for, for sharing all of your, you know, thank insights you. and, and, and I just wanted to ask one more question of you. Yeah. Uh, so, so you actually, uh, spent a lot of time with, with Lawrence Becker. Is that right? Um, how do you know that from Kai, right? Uh, yeah, yeah I mean, he did. Uh, Yes, yeah, so uh, Lawrence Becker was a was a friend and uh, kind of a kind of a mentor to me. Yes, that's uh, that's true. And I'm I also was uh, very in my thinking about stoicism. I was very heavily influenced by his book A New Stoicism from back in 1998, first published uh, 1998. Uh, and yeah, that's uh, that's a huge influence, huge impact here. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess I just wanted to to ask, like, because I. I will admit fully, I haven't even read the book yet, but I've, I've, I've got so many people recommending it to me. I have to read it. I have to do it because I know that it, it comes at high recommendation by pretty much everyone. Uh, Becker's book. Yeah, yeah. What, you, what was the I mean, biggest it, influence that you, that you received from his way of thinking about stoicism? First of all, uh, please remember, don't feel dispirited, but uh, this is a difficult book. This is heavy-duty philo- academic philosophy. It is very serious. It's not the you know a popular handbook, popular yeah. manifesto of stoicism. It's a really you know really hard philosophical book. Uh, what I got from Becker is a basically a few points. First of all, that uh, we need to the, the very idea that we need to reform, right? This is the, and this is the motto to my book that's going to be out in May. That we need to. It is very curious to think what would stoicism look like, look like today. Uh, if it had had this 2,000 years continuous history, if it had the chance to react to, you know, to Newton, to Descartes, to Kant, Hegel, and so on, and to, to the, you know, advent of science, and so on, and so on. Uh, so this idea that we need to, in a way, think up stoicism again, try to express it today, kind of, kind of make up for the time lost. So this is one of the absolutely basic ideas, but also that there is the problem with, uh, nature that uh, following nature is a problematic concept, and we we, we shouldn't simply uh, kind of you know repeat that without without second thought because because it is a, a much more complicated thing today than it used to be back then. And here I in a way go one step further further than 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 Becker because what he says basically is that we need to understand a confirm a consistency with nature is consistency with facts. Which is true, but uh, which is I believe true, but I believe that uh, at this point we don't really need the term nature anymore. So we kind of need to take one more, uh, one more step. Uh, what he said, what, what he says about science—that science is a, in a way provider of the input data for our ethical and practical reasoning—and uh, that again is an expression, is a, is a present-day expression of uh, of nature uh, of the ancient ancient concept of nature uh these would be i guess, i believe the um the things that he uh, I, I picked from him and, and and of course there is a there is a great level of you know personal gratitude because he was a, a very generous friend trying to you know uh show me the ways how how to do things and how to you know uh on, on the practical level with the publishing industry and so on so on how to do things and uh how to deal with them. So yeah, that's a, that's a really great, uh, that was a really great guy. And uh, just for the record, he died back in 2018, uh, in November, I guess. 
Mm, yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I thought it'd be a good opportunity to kind of look back and, you know, see what you learned from him and his kind yeah, of legacy absolutely. lives on, right? Like, and, and, and that's what's so beautiful about this. And I, I appreciate that you're continuing that effort to reform stoicism and bring it into a modern light and try to really dig up these ideas. And, and, and I agree, it's, it's been a long time, right? It's been a long time since it's had kind of a big resurgence. And so we kind of have a responsibility seeing as there are so many ancient truths found in this philosophy we have a responsibility to bring it into a modern context, right? And yes, I believe so. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you know, that would be a cliche phrase, but yeah, we can say that the you know stoic legacy lives on. Uh, which, on one hand, it is a cliche, but on the other hand, do we really? I mean, stoicism is having its momentum right now. I mean, it's everyone. I mean, some people are talking about stoicism, and in in a way, it is popular. Books are being published, and so on and so on. My uh, books are not the only ones, of course, about stoicism. There is a huge, you know, there there is a there is a big the entire cultural uh, movement around that. But it's not really the, the thing with like I don't know, uh, let's say um, let's say uh, let's say I don't know um, even Plato. I mean Plato. I mean, no, there is the, there is the you know play not Plato but product the the eh, not product but Plato. Uh, but this is not the truth with other guys. Let's say, let's say, let's say uh, Wittgenstein maybe or Hegel. You don't really think about yourself as a uh, as a Hegelian or Wittgensteinian in the sense that you can think you yourself a Stoic, right? No one really thinks that. If you uh, if you are a follower of say Saint Thomas Aquinas, okay, you may be a follower of him, but that means you are you just share philosophical views with him. Uh, and you and you you believe in in his truths. Uh, I mean, only the Stoics, in a way, do live continually as the in the way that it, they, they, that they intended in the first place, as a school of life, as a way of living life. If you are a, a again a Hegelian or Wittgensteinian or whatever, it is a it is only the intellectual approach. It's an intellectual decision. It's not a you know, it's not a real life decision. And here in Stoicism, this legacy continues to live also in the practical, mundane, everyday uh, realm. And this is a great thing. And that's why I believe we need to, you know, um, we need to go on in the, you know, the, into the new uh, millennium. So, yeah, that's basically the thing. I love it. Yeah, no, that's beautiful. I, I think you're spot on. It, it needs, there needs to be a preservation of these ideas and a respectful uh, interpretation of these ideas yeah. within the modern context. And preservation, but also, you know, reformation, reinterpretation, yeah. bringing it again to life, trying to live it in our own life, in our own cultural background, and so on and so on and so on. That's the that's the basic message here. No, and I share this with many guys. Not only, that's not 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 only me, but also other authors. This is the, basically the idea behind the entire Stoic movement. I think. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I want to thank you for continuing the work. I want to I want to thank you for thank coming you. on the show, Peter. This was just for this was seriously absolutely. such a beautiful conversation, and I want to have you back as many times as possible. Uh, we may definitely execute that. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It was a good conversation. That's true. 
All right, so there you have it, my interview with Peter Stankovich. Now, uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, you know, that was such a mutually beneficial conversation, and uh, yeah, I'm so excited to have him back many, many more times. Uh, so make sure you head to his links, grab his books there as well, and also reach out to him and let him know how much you appreciated him being on the show. So uh, I'll talk to you guys next time. But until then, I hope that this episode has helped you on your rise to the good life. Ciao. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Practical Stoic Podcast. If you'd like to stay up to date with the Practical Stoic community and everything to do with this podcast, then just go to my website, simonjedrew.com and subscribe to the Practical Stoic Weekly, a newsletter that I send out every week with updates and all sorts of great Stoic insights. You can also find me everywhere online by searching Simon J.E. Drew. See you next time.